taught me from it. And so, God, give us strength. Uh, you're good. You're good to us. And so we anticipate you're going to do something great today. In your son's name, amen. amen. So Romans, Romans. Uh, Romans is a very, it's an amazing book, okay? It's an amazing book. And we, we review this every week, every time we get back together. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the earliest church in Rome, right? The first few decades uh, of, of uh, the, the newly formed church. And what we've got is a lot of babies in Christ, a lot of brand new Christians from all different backgrounds, Gentile backgrounds, Jewish backgrounds, just lots of questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is addressing those issues in this letter. And we've come a long way. It's been a year and a half, just about a year and a half in Romans. And, uh, and, and the, the, the things that we have learned, uh, there's no way I can summarize right now. But we are in a portion of the letter where Paul is addressing uh, what it means to live and act and hold the character of a believer. You know, we've already addressed what it means to come into a place of salvation. The issue of sin, the issue of repentance, the issue of blessing that comes with salvation. We've addressed the future kingdom of God a little bit um, in in chapters 9 and 10 and 11. And now here we are uh, looking at the character of Christians. And we've talked about this a lot. Uh, for all of us, not just those hypocrites that exist outside of the church, right? right? We, we like to talk about other people, even other denominations. That's where the hypocrites reside. No, the hypocrites are right here. All right? They're sitting in these pews. And, uh, and, and so we need Romans to be a guide to us that we might learn what it means to truly live in the character of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That we might... Uh, when people talk about us, that we might have a testimony that says, man, when I, when I see that person's life, I see Christ. That's what we want. And we've come through a lot, even in the last couple chapters. Uh, and, and, and last time we got together, we talked about the issue of love. Right? Um, you guys, some of you guys remember that, uh, but only just barely, because most of you were asleep. I don't know what it was last Sunday, but there was like a haze, an Easter haze over, over you guys. Uh, but hopefully you caught it, and if not, we're going to review it not, right now. Uh, so we've learned about salvation, and we've learned about being set free, and we've discussed mostly recently in this practicing the gospel portion of our study the meaning uh, of having Christian habits and Christian character. And our last message was a close look at love. And so let's look at verse 8 and review. Verse 8 of chapter 13. Owe no man anything. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false, false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay, and this is what we learned. We learned that love is the great expenditure of our lives. The thing that was extended to us in Christ. And it's the thing that we as Christians ought to extend, give our lives to extend to other people is love. Now we talked a little bit about how we don't really know how to love. Because love is a word that's completely misunderstood in our culture today. We don't know anything about love. 
If you were to just live and grow up as an American, you might have a many, many different descriptions of what it means to love. All right? And everybody's very divergent in this, but the, the Bible explains to us very clearly what love, love is. So first of all, we know that love is a person. Love is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that gave up the throne to come to earth to set us free. That is love. He is the embodiment of love. And based on his testimony, we can learn this very first point. That love lived out for us means personal sacrifice and the preference of others over ourselves. Because that was what was modeled for us in Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He put us over him. He sacrificed everything that we might be set free. And likewise, our love as Christians, practicing Christianity, our love ought to look like personal sacrifice and putting others over ourselves. Romans 5.8, we learn this very early on in Romans, this example of Jesus. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't deserve love, when we didn't deserve anything, we deserved judgment. He died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen carefully. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The atonement. He is our atonement. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, that looks like living a life that always puts people above yourself. And standing in the gap as a representation of who Jesus Christ is every day with every person. That's what that looks like. That's what that looks like. And the other thing that we learn is love is the byproduct of yielding to the natural work of the Holy Spirit. That should not be plural. Holy Spirits. If there's Holy Spirits, I'm very confused about Scripture. So I, that's, a, that's a title. Don't write that down. Okay? Yeah, but it would still be grammatically incorrect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. It's possessive. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's not supposed to be there. <sighs> I'm an art teacher. Okay? Okay? So I taught English. My slideshow presentation would probably be perfect. Um, but I am a sinner. Make mistakes. So, number two, this is super important. Love is the byproduct of yielding to the natural work of the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, now this is what I mean, and I think this was lost on us a little bit last week. So I wanted to pay very close attention, very, very close attention. You, as a Christian, that, to be a Christian, that means at some point you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You recognized the truths of the gospel. And you received them. You decided that you believed them. And it was worth you repenting of your sin and making Jesus Christ Lord of your life. That's what salvation is. That's, that's what it means to become a Christian, to know God. Okay? Right? But the moment that happened, the, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you. Okay? And, and the character qualities of the Holy Spirit now can be true of you. Now, in the Old Testament we see that believers were asked to obey the commandments. We see that there was a law that was given to them, and it was very, very uh, important for their spiritual well-being, for them to adhere to those things 
with diligence. And it was an act and a function of their, of their physical discipline. You understand? Because they did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And so it was a matter of resolve to obey God. It was a matter of discipline and habit and religious activity to obey God. You understand? Now, those people failed. They failed. The same way we failed. And the reason that they failed is because they had to rely on their discipline and their resolve to follow God. The beauty of being a New Testament believer is that God put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And as long as we yield to his Spirit, we can fulfill the commandments of the law to a T. It's the perfecting work of the Holy Spirit inside us, us that gives us the ability and the capacity to love. Here, look at Galatians chapter 5, real quick, verse 22. It's up on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, wait, wait, wait. It says right there that the natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is love. In other words, you don't have to trump love up. You don't have to, you don't have to work real hard at being sacrificial. You don't have to work real hard and discipline yourself to prefer other people's over you. You don't have to do that. If you simply yield to the word of God and yield to the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of you, guess what? The natural byproduct is going to be love. It will emanate from you. You will look like the person of Jesus Christ. You will walk and talk and do as he would do. If you yield to his spirit. Does this make sense? So love is actually very, very simple. It looks like Jesus Christ being lived out in us. That's love. Now today, we're going to look at something slightly different. Slightly different. Today's message is called The Gospel in Practice, which is that kind of our little series that we're in. His coming and our conduct. His coming and our conduct. In other words, to get at the, to get at the heart of this, Knowing that Jesus Christ is returning has a direct impact on your character. Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back to deliver his people absolutely results in the change of our character and the adjustment of our conduct. It absolutely does. And we're going to look at that here today. So we're building on this idea of character. And here's your question. Here's your question for this morning. What does it look like to be a Christian that lives knowing that Jesus Christ might return at any moment? What does it look like to be a Christian living knowing that Jesus Christ might return at any moment? At any moment. Let's read verse 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Okay? Are you guys alive? I know that the, that the snow is a real bummer. And I know it's, it's, it's seeking to throw you into the depressive state. Now, you just got to war against that. Yield to the Spirit. Okay? Be alive to His Spirit. And, and you won't, there will be no temptation to be depressed right now. This, this, the snow it was moving sideways a moment ago. I didn't know that was possible. 
like defying gravity out there. It's okay though, all right? Be awake, be alive. That's the call today. Here, we're given a vivid illustration of night and day. You guys see that there? Night and day. There's two things at work here. There's nighttime and there's day in this illustration that Paul paints for us. See, see, for the lost world, they live in the darkness of the night. For those who don't know Jesus Christ, they are in the night. That's the illustration here. They are in the night. They are in the darkness. They are in the void. And their activities and desires and purposes happen in the darkness of their night. And you guys see this, right? That all the pursuits, all the worldly pursuits of the lost are so vain and clear when you've come to know, know Jesus Christ, right? When you, when you look at the world, you see that the, the riches of the world, even the poverty of the world, the wars of the world, right? The systems of the world, all these things are vain activity of a people bound, bound for hell. And that should be very sobering for us. They live in the night. These are people that live in the light. But, but illustrated here is that for the Christ follower, we must live and act as children of the day. We must live and act as children of the day, knowing that night is all around us. We must live like it's daytime. And let's, let's, we're going to paint this illustration a little bit more. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. It's up on the screen. Ye are the children of light, believer. You are a ch child of light. And the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. As Christians, who are in a spiritual slumber, we have made ourselves value, valueless to eternity. Valueless to eternity. A Christian that functions as a lost person. What do people do at night? Well, some go get drunk. Right? I mean, if you drink during the day, that's real, that's real sad. That's, you're, you're really sad at that point. Then you've just made the day night, too. But most people, they go get drunk at night. They go sleep around at night. And, of course, people, they sleep at night, right? Lots of things that people do at night. But mostly people sleep. If you're normal, like me. <laughs> you sleep. You go, you go to bed at 6.30. <laughs> now, that's what I wish I could do. So I wish I could do, right? But you sleep in the night. Now, for a Christian who lives as a lost person and night is night, you have just thrown away the value and the purpose that God has given you. The call here is to wake up, to get out of your slumber, to function as though it's daytime. I mean, we live in a world where Christ is not present with us, right? Now, Christ here is the day star. He's the morning star. He's the bright and shining sun. He is the only thing that can bring day to a dark world. He's the only thing. 
But that doesn't change the fact that it's our responsibility to live as though it's day. You know why? Because Christ is present with us. We have the light. We have the truth. And it gives us the capacity to move in a dark and dying world with light. See, we are free. And we've been made to live with great purpose. And yet many of us lay dormant the very power of God in our lives. We're so easily lulled into spiritual neglect and distraction. And so what we do is, is, is we, you know, it happens, I don't know, like for me, when I go to sleep at night, that moment between awake and asleep is usually a little foggy, right? It's like, and maybe it's because I'm just out like this when I lay my head down. But I was like, like the time where you're trying to read the Bible at night and things are just getting like really blurry. You're like, oh, it's coming. It's coming, right? And pretty soon you're asleep. But that foggy moment between awake and asleep, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's that foggy moment. And for many of us, that moment represents distraction. Spiritually, it represents distraction. And many of us live in that state because we're not alive to God's word. We're not alive to the truths of who he is. We're not living in the spirit. We're not purposed to live out his mission. And we allow the things of this world to lull us to sleep. We spend plenty of time on Netflix. We spend plenty of time on social media. We spend plenty of time uh, studying for school. We prioritize the things that we think are right. And we give God our leftovers. And then we're suddenly surprised when we find ourselves asleep. Completely disconnected from God's purpose. Completely disconnected from his mission. But I'm telling you, listen to me. It happens really suddenly, and it can happen very quickly. You can go from day to night like this. Just one day where you choose not to be in God's word. Just one day where you choose to put your studies over being accountable in, in, in God's word in a Bible study. Well, I'm really busy tonight. I'm going to skip out on Bible study. Suddenly, you find yourself out of accountability, and very quickly, you find yourself in a state of sleep. This is where most Christians live. This is where most Christians live. That's not me being judgy. That's me looking at America, looking at the world, and saying, look, look, Christianity, is it working? It's not working. It's not working. Christianity does not have power. God's word does not have power. The spirit doesn't have free course. Because the believers, the ones who are supposed to be carrying the light, find themselves fast asleep, completely distracted by Satan's ploy. That's where we're at. So while the world lives oblivious within spiritual darkness, many Christians are also hiding their faith behind the walls of their own comfort. They sleep there, and their night is filled with vain movement and restless activity, stretching and yawning and shadowy dreams. Nighttime is when prowlers haunt the streets and the bars are full of drunkards. The night is a time of hiding and sneaking around. But that is not true for the new creature. That ought not be true for the new creature. The one who's born again. I mean, you guys, who's, who when they sleep moves, like, do you move around a lot? Yeah? I sleep like this. I remember at All Church Retreat a couple years ago, 
obviously I went to sleep real early. Y'all were running around. Uh, it wasn't ultra, it was a fall retreat, I think. Or maybe a spring retreat. I can't remember, there's a lot of retreats. I can't keep track. But I remember I was asleep and all the guys at once came storming into the, to the room. This had to have been a spring retreat because I think it was in the dorm. So all the guys come in and I'm like, uh, right? And I'm laying there, this is how I sleep. <laughs> like Lazarus. This is, and I don't move all night long. I'm like this. And Alex comes into the room and he looks at the top bunk and he's like, what the? And I knew instantly what he meant by that. I'm like, just leave me alone, bro. Okay, I, I, that's how I, I don't move around a whole lot. But some of y'all, I know how you are. I used to sleep with my, my brother. We share, we shared a bed for a long time. Uh, that's how poor people roll. I don't know if y'all know about that. But, uh, if you're a boy and then you have a brother that's just like you're a sibling, you guys have to share a bed, at least for years. A futon? Is that what you said? See, that's a futon. We're all on the same page. On head to toe, there's rules. The older you get, there becomes rules. When you're real young, there's no rules. You can just sit side by side. But as you get older, you're like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> so you sleep with your feet this way, right? You have rules. But this dude moved around so much. Okay, you guys see me. I mean, I'm not like thin by any means, but I'm not like, I'm not swole. <laughs> this dude, this dude was 6'3 and 250 pounds and rolled around in bed. I mean, but, it's, but when you roll around at night, this is just vain activity, isn't it? It's meaningless activity. And a lot of us live our Christian lives this way. We think we're up to something, like we're doing something. And it's about, it's, it's about as profitable a Christian life as it is rolling around in your bed at night while you sleep. It's wasted time. You know, back in the day, I, I worked as a graphic designer at the Roastery. I don't know if some of you guys know that. And I had a friend that I got a job. And it was a really hopeful move on my part. Oh, okay, dude, don't mess this up. I was thinking in my mind. Within a couple of weeks, uh, he, uh, I found him sleeping. Uh, he worked in the, he worked, he was like working in the shipping stuff. So he would like ship coffee out. And he was like, he was supposed to go out with the box things and label them and then get them on the UPS truck or whatever. And this is like way after lunch. This is no lunch break, right? This is like two in the afternoon. This dude is sleeping on, a, on some some boxes that he strategically laid out from the back in order to sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, wake up, man. Get up. My name is at stake here. You sucking at your job puts my reputation in this workplace at jeopardy. How do you feel, how do you think Christ feels about those Christians who are wasting the precious amount of time that they have to count in this world? He looks at those Christians and he says a very similar thing. Look, you're putting my name at risk here. Your laziness, your slothfulness, your inability to function in the day is harming my mission. So that's why Paul calls us to wake up. Here's our key point. Shaking off the comforts of the night means, means, to shake off the comforts of the night means to put on the urgency, faith, and labor of the day. Of the day. Shaking off the comforts of the night means putting on the urgency, faith, and labor of the day. You know, a farmer understands this, right? Don't they? 
like all my all my country folks in here are just like, hey, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it popped up. That's not how you do it. <laughs> You're a divided man, though. You spent half your life in an urban setting and then half your life in a country setting. You go both ways, right? Right? No. No, you're all country. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, a farmer wakes up real early. Okay, they wake up real early, early in the morning. All right, before before that, the sun comes over the hill, because they've got work to do and they have no time to waste. And this is the urgency at which the Christian should live. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we renew our urgency? Paul says, awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing in the first century. He's saying, look, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, the sun will rise at any given moment. We do not know when Christ will return. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Now, 2,000 years later, how much more true a statement is the day is at hand? How much more true is that now as the day continues to approach? See, there's a preparedness that comes with the potential of a new day. For those who live under the call of the Great Commission, the hour of our day is dawn. It's dawn. The moment just before the sun rises. This is where a person determines that they're going to follow Christ. This is the moment where you prepare yourself for the day. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. How well does that build on our, our, our concept here? It is nighttime. We live in the night, right? The world is lost. Christ is not here. Christ is not present. The sun is gone. He's absent. And he's coming again. He's coming again. And when he comes, he'll come as a thief in the night. Like this. Boom. And he'll suddenly be upon us. He'll suddenly be upon us. Jesus Christ's return is eminent. No man knows the hour, okay? But we know it's coming. And we ought to live as though he's coming. We ought to live as though he's coming. But you know, if we were real honest, many of us would rather not think about the biblical reality of Christ's coming. We'd rather not think about it. A, because it's weird. Isn't it? It's freaking weird. This dude is going to come for me on a cloud, and I'm going to meet him in the sky. I don't know. It's as crazy as, oh, it's as crazy as uh, blood washes away all my sins. So, you know, I've come to grips with it. There's going to come a moment where he comes back for me, and I'm out. I'm gone. But many people fear that moment, the reality of that truth in Scripture. They fear it. It's, it's an inconvenient truth to consider that God might interrupt what we've got going on. So for many of us, we've lost watch. We've lost watch for his return. We're not looking for him. We're not anticipating him. We're not excited for him. You know, uh, the other day I was talking with a Christian student at school. 
And something happened, and I don't remember what it was. Uh, I can't remember what the conversation was exactly. But I said, I said to him, I, I said, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Christ might come back any moment anyway. Yeah? Any moment. This is like the offhanded joke. Ha, <laughs> Christian joke. <laughs> you know? And then he got this look on his face that I didn't expect. It was like horror. Right? Just a blank face. Just a blank face. And I saw the wheels turning. And I'm like, aren't you excited about that idea? <laughs> now listen to me. He was incredibly honest. I didn't anticipate it. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know this was coming. And he's like, when I think about that, I struggle because I feel like there's a lot of things that I haven't, that I haven't got to do. And I was like, like what? Well, I'd like to get married, which is code for I'd really like to have sex before God comes and gets me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I would really like to experience that. And, and so, you know, I remember being a young man, and I'm, so I was like, okay, that's very honest. You know what? That's not, that's not too far off from many of the way, the way we think, all right? A lot of us think that we're, we're holding on to in the world, things that we haven't achieved yet, that we, that we have kind of put over the mission. And in so doing, we've made false idols, and of course we're not going to be ex excited about the return of Jesus Christ. Of, of course we're unprepared. And many of you in this room, many Christians in general, have decided to forget that Jesus Christ is returning for you because it's inconvenient. It's an inconvenient thought. Because if it's true, it impacts your life and the way you live every day. The knowledge of his return should cause us to get up and turn the lights on. We've lost our sense of urgency. We've lost touch with our mission, and we've fallen asleep just as the sun is beginning to rise. There's no sense of desperation. There's no feeling of excitement. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now beseech you, brethren, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, what Paul is saying here is as Christ returns, you should be less troubled. You should be less concerned. You should be less encumbered. You should be less distracted. You should be less concerned about your suffering and anxiety and your depressions and your frustrations that come with living in this world. You should be less so that person. And your troubles should be lifted knowing that Jesus Christ is coming for you. And that that day will be exciting. That there's nothing better than meeting Christ in the clouds. I think it'll be better than sex. Sorry. <laughs> I think it'll be better than whatever privilege that you think that you're earning here in this world. Whatever purpose that you've set for yourself. I think that moment will be better. And for that, I'm anticipating living with a sense of urgency now. See, we've, we've failed to anticipate his coming, so we don't take our mission seriously. And the result is sloppy behavior 
and sinful distractions. Here's a key point. Key point. We compromise our stewardship when we forget we will give an account for our lives. It's a very simple thought. We compromise our stewardship when we forget we will give an account for our lives. Okay, what does that mean? Stewardship, the word stewardship means oversight. In your life, you get to steward. God gave it to you as a gift. And as a Christian, he's, he's gifted you with many more things. He's gifted you with his word, with his Holy Spirit, with his church, with the mission and the purpose of this life. He's given you blessings and promises. And these are things that you're called to steward or have oversight of every day, every single day. Now, we compromise that stewardship when we choose to forget that there will come a day called the, the judgment seat. There will come a day where we stand before Jesus Christ. It, it coincides with that rapture moment, you know, the, the cloud moment. That day, for some people, as exciting as it is, will also be a little bit of a letdown. For bad stewards, for those of you who live life asleep, for those of you who chose not to be awake during the night, for those of you who have chosen to not live as though it's day. Because of your bad stewardship, when you stand before Jesus Christ and you give an account, you will be ashamed. You will be ashamed of what you wasted. Now, what, what I want you to understand here is there's a, there's a correlation that's taking place. If you choose to be excited for Christ's coming, that will absolutely impact the way that you steward your life from day to day. We don't want to stand regretful in front of Jesus Christ. Now here's, a, here's perhaps a more disturbing point. Okay, this is the, the, the other side of this point. Here's another key point for you. When we forget Christ's return, honestly, if we're real honest, we actually have forgotten the value of a human soul. When we forget Christ's return, we forget the value of a human soul. So the question is, what is the urgency? Well, our urgency is the reaping of a harvest. Our urgency is the reaping of a harvest, making an impact on souls in the little time that we have. And if we're not anticipating his coming... We're not making foolproof of our ministry now. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. If we live as though Christ is just around the corner, that he could come back any moment, guess what? We're going to prioritize the things that he prioritizes. And Jesus Christ came into this world to prioritize the souls of men. His purpose is to reap a harvest, to build a kingdom. And the only reason you're alive and breathing right now is to live and function in that purpose. So when we forget Christ's return, we are in danger of devaluing the, soul, the thing that God values more than anything, and that is the human soul. Jesus Christ loves people. And our job is to win people to him. That's our job. You know, in a sporting event, as it nears the end, 
uh, of a sporting event. The players change the way that they play. This is true for all team sports. Okay, um, but you know, I always think about basketball. As a, as a game is coming to a close, fourth quarter, just a few minutes left in the game, maybe even a few seconds left. Teams often change the way that they play. They become much more urgent as the, as the buzzer is getting ready to sound. Right? They make decisions that are more urgent. They take risks. They play boldly. They, they play more physical. Right? And as the final buzzer for us is preparing to sound, how are we living? How are we acting? As the morning star rises, we should take the work of sharing the gospel all the more seriously. We should do our best work as believers knowing that Christ is near. So then the question becomes, what do we do to prepare our hearts and minds for this coming? How do we prepare ourselves to be good stewards? What do we do? Verse 12. Well, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Cast off the works of darkness. Jump ahead to 13 where it says, Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Those are all examples of that darkness. These are all sinful activities we might find ourselves in. Distracted. We've got to cast that off. We've got to cast off the old man. We've got to put him aside. A man, a, a man who refuses to shed the wickedness of his past is like a man sleeping who refuses to take their pajamas off before they put their work clothes on for the day. You know what I mean? It's like just leaving your pajamas on and just like straggling and like putting your pants on over them. No, you're supposed to cast off the night. Cast off the works of darkness. Put them away. We take off the old man. Colossians 3.8 says, But now ye also put off all these things. Put off, put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Man, these are things that we all stand guilty of. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. After the image of him that created him, put on the new man. That means put on Christ. Put on Christ. Put on the new image. Put on the new man. Put away the old things. All things have become new. Now, as what's described here for us is that these, these new things are described here as armor. Look at verse 12. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So first of all, we go from night garments to armor. We go from night garments to armor. Not, not very many of us are used to that idea. Like when I get up in the morning, I'm looking as an art teacher. I get, I get dressed kind of how I want. I mean, you might confuse this as night garments. Right? But this is actually my attire. This is me getting ready for the day. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I'm not a very polished pastor. I apologize now. Okay, please forgive me. Um, this is my wife's little shirt. It was cold out. I thought 
Okay, we'll move on from that. But no, we're supposed to wake up, and getting ready for the day means putting on armor. Putting on armor. Why armor? Why armor? Maybe you forgot that you weren't waking up to scroll on Instagram for an hour before you go do anything. Right? Maybe you forgot that waking up doesn't mean just sitting on the couch. So you're waking up from the sleep with the intent of going to work, engaging in battle for souls. This is the life of the Christian, and it is, been, it is done best in the proper attire. And for us, that's armor. We are called to put on armor, a protective covering that hinders the fiery darts of Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, so this is a battle. Christianity is a battle. For those of you who forgot that, I apologize. Waking up from the night means engaging in battle. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what we're supposed to do. And if you don't go out dressed properly, you will absolutely suffer at the hands of an enemy who hates you. And so our armor is the word of God. Putting on your proper attire for the day means getting in God's word and protecting your mind, protecting your heart, protecting you where you're from, from, from weaknesses. Putting on the armor means putting your face in the book. That's what it means. Verse 14 says, put, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the passage says two things. It says, put on the armor of light. Well, let me tell you this. The armor of light is Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of light. John chapter 1 tells us that he is the light that came into the world. And the darkness of this world couldn't even comprehend him. When they saw him, they didn't understand him for who he was. He is the light. And when we put on the armor of light, we are putting on Jesus Christ. Verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You know, for many of you, that's your biggest problem. Is that you want to put on Jesus Christ, but you're not willing to put away provisions that you've made for the flesh. If you can learn to put away temptation in your life, that girl, that guy, that thing that you do at night. I mean, some of you have to make desperate decisions to set proper boundaries that keep you from making Wicked provisions. Many of you in this room right now are holding on to wicked activities that you've justified away for a long time. And in so doing, you're making opportunity for failure. You can't put on the armor of light. You can't put on Jesus Christ and hold on to old provisions. You will fail. And you are playing at living in the day. It's a lie. You're lying to yourself. Put away provisions of the flesh. And, 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 the, and the lust thereof. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not, not provision for the flesh. Right? To fulfill the lust thereof. We've got, we've got to go beyond the simplicity of the old man. You know, we sang a song uh, this morning that actually has to do with it. 
fewer in main service. We sang a song about this by Young Oceans. And the lyrics are this. I threw them into my, my thing. Only you have set the earth on its foundation. Only you give orders to the dawn. is that only you give orders to the dawn that's not that's we're not talking about just that god controls the sun rising in the morning we're talking about the day star the morning star there is a moment that he is he controls only he knows which he where he is going to come back for us only you can know the depths of every ocean only you deserve our song only you have torn the cover off the darkness you expose the evils of the night. Only you reveal your glory to the humble. Only you are clothed in light. Only he is clothed in light. So whatever else you're putting on that's not Christ, it's been woefully disappointing to you. You will find no fulfillment there, believer. See, you already screwed up and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You messed everything up. Like, see, if you would have just decided not to follow Christ, then you would have had a really good time for a short period. Well, and then hell. <laughs> but you would have been having a great time right now. But you know what? The truth is, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you choose to go to sleep knowing that Christ is coming, that's a restless sleep. You will find no happiness there. You will find no joy there. See, our covering, our clothing is putting on Christ. See, this particular armor described in Romans is made of light. So it's intended to stand as a light in the darkness, in the haze of early morning, as a bright light, a guidepost, a surrogate for the true daylight that's coming. That's who you're supposed to be. And if you put on Jesus Christ, you get to stand as that light post in a lost and dying world in a classroom full of unbelievers, in a workplace full of the lost, in a, in, a, in a job where it seems like nobody knows Jesus, you get to stand a testimony of who Christ is. And when people need truth, when life actually hurts, when their plan doesn't work, they're going to know where the light is. But you can't be that if you're fast asleep. Here's our key point. God has made us to stand as his ambassadors, a light in a dark place. I don't think there's a slide for this one, actually. I just threw it in there. I can do that. God has made us to stand as his ambassadors, a light in a dark place. Some of you guys are writing down the next key point. I appreciate that. But it's super important that we know that we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's super important to know that we represent him. And there's no way of doing that unless we put on the armor of Jesus Christ. The armor of light. You know, your life has purpose, believer. The Christianity is not as simple as just getting out of hell. You signed up for way more than that. The best thing in life is not just to be happy. The best thing in life is knowing that you're walking as a light post in the darkness when everyone else has been tricked and fooled. 
you stand as a representation of forgiveness, freedom, and love. There's nothing better than that. And it affects our conduct. It affects the way that we live. So then the key point that many of you are writing down right now. To walk in the day is to conduct yourself as though you are in the very presence of Jesus Christ. As though he's right around the corner. As though the sun is rising. It's beginning to peek over the horizon. You know, fall or, uh, spring sunrises are my favorite. They're my favorite. I wake up early enough where I drive into the sunrise every morning. Okay, that's real early. Um, and you know, it's all kinds of amazing colors. Purples and blues and oranges. And, and it's vibrant and powerful. And it tells me that spring is coming. That life is coming. It's the most beautiful of sunrises. You know why? Because it pictures for us that Jesus Christ is bringing spring that a dead and lost world will be renewed by a sun that's coming over the horizon. And we ought to live in light of that truth. Jesus' coming should, should invigorate righteous living. So here's the question as we close and the worship team comes up. Who are you going to be? And what kind of Christian are you going to be? I mean, Christianity today provides us with lots of different options. You can, you can walk around and call yourself a Christian and go to church every Sunday and fulfill what you think is your obligation. And you will have, you will have thought that you lived a fulfilled life even. And all the while, you were asleep. All the while, you were just wasting your time. Or listen, hey, listen, engage with me. Engage with me for just a second. Or you can recognize his imminent return and change everything about your life and actually live the way that the Christians devoted to Christ live in the book of Acts. Have you seen the way those Christians live? Desperation. Desperation, urgency. They thought Christ was coming back any moment. 2,000 years later, a lot of us have grown weary and we've forgotten and that ought not be. That's not, who we, that's not who we were made to be. We were made to be light in a dark place. We are a representation of the day. And some of us, we need to awake to that calling. And you know what? That's going to require many of us to put off the old man. And I would ask, if any of you are struggling with that old man, if there is a provision of the flesh, if there's a thing that's been calling your name and drawing you away and pulling in, you into a place of slumber where you cannot focus on the thing, Christ has called you to focus on, he's calling you to repent of that today. Come forward, pray with someone, deal with it. Because we have to cast off the old things in order to put on the new. We've got to. Are you with me this morning? Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. I thank you for here, just this beautiful picture that you painted through the Apostle Paul. God, your word to us has power. And I pray right now that we would be beckoned to live in light.